Chapter 7 of The Side of the Angels by Basil King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 7 Between the greenhouses, of which the glass gleamed dimly in the moonlight, Rosie followed a path that straggled down the slope of her father's land to the new boulevard round the pond. The boulevard here swept inland about the base of Duck Rock, in order to leave that wooded bluff an inviolate feature of the landscape. So inviolent had it been that during the months since Rosie had picked wild raspberries in its boskage, the park commissioners had seized on it as a spot to be subdued by winding paths and restful benches. To make it the more civilised and inviting, they placed one of the arc-lamps that now garlanded the circuit of the pond, just where it would guide the feet of lovers into the alluring shade. Rosie was glad of this friendly light before engaging on the rough path up the bluff under the skeleton-like trees. She was not afraid. She was only nervous, and the light gave her confidence. But to-night, as she emerged on the broad boulevard from the weedy outskirts of her father's garden, the clatter of horse-hoofs startled her into drawing back. She would have got herself altogether out of sight had there been anything at hand in the nature of a shrub high enough to conceal her. As it was, she could only shrink to the extreme edge of the roadside, hoping that the rider, whoever he was, would pass without seeing her. This he might have done, had not the bay mare Delia, unaccustomed to the sight of young ladies roaming alone at night, thought it the part of propriety to shy. "'Wah, Delia, wah! What's the matter? Steady, old girl, steady!' There was a flash of the quick, penetrating eyes around the circle made by the arc-light. "'Why, hello, Rosie, but my soul! Look scared as a stray kitten. Where are you going?' Rosie could only reply that she wasn't going anywhere. She was just out. "'Well, it's a fine night. Everybody seems to be out. Just met Claude.' The girl was unable to repress a startled, "'Oh!' Then she bit her tongue at the self-betrayal. Uncle Sim laughed merrily. "'Don't wonder you're frightened, pretty girl like you. Devil of a fellow, if Claude thinks he is. Suppose you don't know him.' "'Ah, well, that wouldn't make any difference to him if he was to run across you. "'I'll tell you what, you come along with me.' Chuckling to himself, he slipped from Delia's back, preparing to lead the mare and accompany the girl on foot. "'We'll go round by the old village and up Schoolhouse Lane. "'Walk'll do you good. You'll sleep better after it. "'Come along now, and tell me about your mother as we go. "'Did my nephew Thor come to see her? "'What did he give her? Did she take it? Did he make her sleep?' Rosie shrank away from him with the eyes of a terrified animal. "'Oh, oh no, Dr. Marston, please, I, I, I don't want to take that long walk. I'll, I'll go back up the path the, the way I came. I just ran out to... to, to... He looked at her with suspicious kindliness. "'Will you promise me you'll go back the way you came?' "'Yes, yes, I will.' "'That's all right. It's an awfully dangerous road, Rosie. Tramps and everything. But if you'll go straight back up the path, I'll be easy in my mind about you.' He watched her while she retreated. "'Good night,' he called. "'Good night,' came her voice from halfway up the garden. She was obliged to wait in the shadow of an outlying hothouse till the sound of Delia's hoofs clattering off towards the old village died away on the night. She crept back again, cautiously. Cautiously, too, she stole across the boulevard and into the wood. Once there, she flew up the path with the frantic eagerness of a hare. She was afraid Claude might have come and gone. She was afraid of the incident with old Sim. What did he mean? Did he mean anything? If he betrayed Claude at home, would he keep the latter from meeting her? 
She had no great confidence in Claude's ability to withstand authority. She had no great confidence in anything, not even in his love or in her own. The love was true enough. It was ardently, desperately true. Would it bear the strain that could so easily be put upon it? She felt of her swept up by an immense longing to be sure. She had so many subjects to think of and to dread that she forgot to be frightened as she sped up the bluff. It was only on reaching the summit and discovering that Claude wasn't there that she was seized by fear. There was a bench beside her, a round bench circling the trunk of an oak tree, and she sank upon it. The crunching of footsteps told her someone was coming up the slope. In all probability it was Claude, but it might be a stranger or even an animal. The crunching continued, measured, slow. She would have fled if there had been any way of fleeing without encountering the object of her alarm. The regular beats of the footsteps, growing heavier and nearer through the darkness, rendered her almost hysterical. When at last Claude's figure emerged into the moonlight, his erect slenderness defined against the sky, she threw herself, sobbing, into his arms. It was not the least of Claude's attractions that he was so tender with women swept by crises of emotion. Where Thor would have stood helpless or prescribed a mild sedative, Claude pressed the agitated creature to his breast and let her weep. When her sobs had subsided to a convulsive clinging to him without tears, he explained his delay in arriving by his meeting with Uncle Sim. They were seated on the bench by this time, his arms about her, her face close to his. Awful nuisance he is, regular Paul Pry. Can't keep anything from him. Scars the country night and day like the headless horseman of Sleepy Hollow. Never know when you'll meet him. I met him too, Rosie said, getting some control of her voice. The deuce you did! Did he speak to you? Did he say anything about me? He said he'd seen you. Is that all? She weighed the possible disadvantages of saying too much, coming to the conclusion that she'd better tell him more. No, it isn't quite all. He seemed to warn me against you. Oh, the devil! In his start he loosened his embrace, but grasped her to him again. What's he up to now? Do you think he's up to anything? What else did he say? Tell me all you can think of. She narrated the brief incident. Will it make any difference to us? She ventured to ask. It'll make a difference to us if he blabs to father, of course. What sort of difference, Claude? The sort of difference it makes when there's the devil to pay. She clasped him to her the more closely. Does that mean that we shouldn't be able to see each other any more? The question being beyond him, Claude smothered it under a selection of those fond epithets in which his vocabulary was large. In the very process of enjoying them, Rosie was rallying her strength. She was still clasping him as she withdrew her head slightly, looking up at him through the moonlight. Claude, I want to ask you something. With his hand on the knot of her hair, he pressed her face once more against his. Yes, yes, darling, ask me anything. Yes, yes, yes. She broke in on his purring with the words, Are we engaged? The purring ceased. Without relaxing his embrace, he remained passive, like a man listening. What makes you ask me that? It's what people generally are when they're when they're like us, isn't it? Brushing his lips over the velvet of her cheeks, he began to purr again. No one was ever like us, darling. No one ever will be. Don't worry your little head with what doesn't matter. 
"'But it does matter to me, Claude. I want to know where I am.' "'Where you are, dearie. You're here with me. Isn't that enough?' "'It's enough for now, Claude, but—' "'That isn't what it's enough for now, all we've got to think of.' "'No, Claude, dearest. A girl isn't like a man.' "'Oh, yes, she is, when she loves. And you love me, don't you, dearie? You love me just a little.' "'Say you love me just a little, a very little.' "'Oh, Claude, my darling, my darling, you know I love you. You've all I've got in the world.' "'And you're all I've got, my little Rosie. Nothing else counts when I'm with you.' "'But when you're not with me, Claude, what then? What am I to think when you're away from me? What am I to be?' "'Be just as you are. Be just as you've always been since the day I first saw you.' "'Yes.' "'Yes, Claude, but you, you don't understand. "'If anyone were to find out that I came here to meet you like this—' "'No one must find out, dear. We must keep that, Mum.' "'But if they did, Claude, it, it wouldn't matter to you at all.' "'Oh, wouldn't it, though? Father would make it a matter, I can tell you.' "'Yes, but you wouldn't be disgraced. I should be. "'Don't you see? No one would ever believe. "'Oh, what does it matter what anyone believes? Let them all go hang.' "'We can't let them all go hang. "'You can't let your father go hang, and I can't let mine. "'Do you know what my father would do to me if he knew where I am now? "'He'd kill me.' "'Oh, rot, Rosie!' "'No, no, Claude, I'm telling you the truth. "'He's that sort. "'He wouldn't think it, but he is. "'He's one of those mild, dreamy men who, when they're enraged, "'which isn't often, don't know where to stop. "'If he thought I'd done wrong, he'd put a knife into me, just like that.' She struck her clenched hand against his heart. When Matt was arrested, he tore himself from her suddenly. The sensitive part of him had been touched. Oh, Lord, Rosie, don't let's go into that. I hate that business. I try to forget it. No one can forget it who remembers me. Oh, yes, they can. I can. When you don't drag it up. What's the use, Rosie? Why not be happy for the few hours every now and then that we can get together? What's got into you? He changed his tone. "'You hurt me, Rosie. You hurt me. You talk as if you didn't trust me. You seem to have suspicions to, to be making schemes. Oh, Claude, for God's sake!' Rosie, too, was touched on the quick, perhaps by some truth in the accusation. He kissed her ardently. "'I know, dear, I know. I know it's all right that you don't mean anything. Kiss me. Tell me you won't do it any more, that you won't hurt the man who adores you.' "'What does anything else matter? "'You and I are everything there is in the world. "'Don't let us talk. "'When we've got each other.' "'Rosie gave it up, for the present at any rate. "'She began to perceive dimly "'that they had different conceptions of love. "'For her, love was engagement and marriage, "'with the material concomitants "'the two states implied. "'But for Claude, love was something else. "'It was something she didn't understand.' except that it was indifferent to the orderly procession by which her own ambitions climbed. He loved her, of that she was sure. But he loved her for her face, her mouth, her eyes, her hair, the colour of her skin, her roughened little hands, her lithe little body. Of nothing else in her was he able to take cognizance. Her hard life and her heart-breaking struggles were conditions he hadn't the eyes to see. He was aware of them, of course, but he could detach her from them. He could detach her from them for the minutes she spent with him, but he could see her go back to them and make no attempt to follow her in sympathy. But he loved her beauty, 
There was that palliating fact. After all, Rosie was a woman, and here was the supreme tribute to her womanhood. It was not everything, and yet it was the thing enchanting. It was the kind of tribute any woman in the world would have put before social rescue or moral elevation, and Rosie was like the rest. She could be lulled by Claude's endearments as a child is lulled by a cradle-song. With this music in her ears, doubts were stilled and misgivings quieted and ambitions overruled. Return to the world of care and calculation followed only on Claude's words uttered just as they were parting. "'And you'd better be on your guard against Thor. So long as he's going to your house, you mustn't give anything away.'" End of chapter 7